Chapter Thirteen of the House by the Churchyard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The House by the Churchyard by Joseph Sheraton Lefanu. Chapter Thirteen, in which the rector visits the tiled house and Dr. Toole looks after the brass castle. Next morning, Toole sauntering along the low road towards the mills, as usual bawling at his dogs, who scampered and nuzzled hither and thither, round and about him, saw two hackney coaches, and a noddy, arrive at the brass castle, a tall old house by the river, with a little bit of a flower-garden, half a dozen poplars and a few old privet hedges about it and being aware that it had been taken the day before for mr dangerfield for three months he slackened his pace in the hope of seeing that personage of whom he had heard great things take sison of his tabernacle he was disappointed however the great man had not arrived only a sour-faced fussy old lady mrs jukes his housekeeper and a servant wench and a great lot of boxes and trunks and so leaving the coachman grumbling and swearing at the lady who bitter shrill and voluble was manifestly well able to fight her own battles he strolled back to the phoenix where a new evidence of the impending arrival met his view in an english groom with three horses which the hostler and he were leading into the inn-yard there were others too agreeably fidgeted about his arrival the fair miss magnolia for instance and her enterprising parent the agreeable mrs mcnamara who both as they gaped and peeped from the windows bouncing up from the breakfast-table every minute to the silent distress of quiet little major o'neill painted all sorts of handsome portraits and agreeable landscapes and cloud-clapped castles each for her private contemplation on the spreading canvas of her hopes dr walsingham rode down to the tiled house where workmen were already preparing to make things a little more comfortable the towering hall door stood half open, and down the broad stairs, his tall slim figure showing black against the light of the discoloured lobby window, his raven hair reaching to his shoulders. Mervyn, the pale large-eyed genius of that haunted place, came to meet him. He led him into the cedar parlour, the stained and dusty windows of which opened upon that moss-grown orchard among whose great trunks and arches those strange shapes were said sometimes to have walked at night like penitents and mourners through cathedral pillars it was a reception as stately but as sombre and as beggarly withal as that of the master of ravenswood for there were but two chairs in the cedar parlour one with but three legs the other without a bottom so they were fain to stand but mervyn could smile without bitterness and his desolation had not the sting of actual poverty as he begged the rector to excuse his dreary welcome 
and hoped that he would find things better the next time their little colloquy got on very easily for mervyn liked the rector and felt a confidence in him which was comfortable and almost exhilarating the doctor had a cheery kindly robust voice and a good honest emphasis in his talk a guileless blue eye a face furrowed thoughtful and benevolent well formed too he must have been a handsome curate in his day not uncourtly but honest the politeness of a gentle and tender heart very courteous and popular among ladies although he sometimes forgot that they knew no latin so mervyn drew nigh to him in spirit and liked him and talked to him rather more freely though even that was enigmatically enough than he had to anybody else for a long time it would seem that the young man had formed no very distinct plan of life he appeared to have some thought of volunteering to serve in america and some of entering into a foreign service but his plans were i suppose in nubibus all that was plain was that he was restless and eager for some change any it was not a very long visit you may suppose and just as dr walsingham rode out of the avenue lord castle mallard was riding leisurely by towards chapel is it followed by his groom his lordship though he had a drowsy way with him was esteemed rather an active man of business being really i'm afraid only what is termed a fidget and the fact is his business would have been better done if he had looked after it a good deal less he was going down to the town to see whether dangerfield had arrived and slackened his pace to allow the doctor to join him for he could ride with him more comfortably than with parsons generally the doctor being well descended and having married besides into a good family he stared as he passed at the old house listlessly and peevishly he had heard of mervyn's doings there and did not like them yes sir he's a very pretty young man and very well dressed said his lordship with manifest dissatisfaction but i don't like meeting him you know tis not his fault but one can't help thinking of of things and i'd be glad his friends would advise him not to dress in velvets you know particularly black velvets you can understand i could not help thinking at the time of a pall somehow i'm not no not pleasant near him no i i can't his face is so pale you don't often see so pale a face no it looks like a reflection from one that's still paler you understand and in short even in his perfumes there's a taint of of you know a taint of blood sir then there was a pause during which he kept slapping his boot peevishly with his little riding whip one can't of course but be kind he recommenced i can't do much i can't make him acceptable you know but i pity him dr walsingham and i tried to be kind to him 
you know that for ten years i had all the trouble sir of a guardian without the authority of one yes of course we're kind but body o me sir he'd be better anywhere else than here and without occupation you know quite idle and so conspicuous i promise you there are more than i who think it and he has commenced fitting up that vile old house that vile house sir it is ready to tumble down upon my life they say so nutter says so and stirk dr stirk of the artillery here an uncommon sensible man you know says so too tis a vile house and ready to tumble down and you know the trouble i was put to by that corporation fellow ah uh, what's his name about it and he can't let it people servants won't stay in it you know the people tell such stories about it i'm told and what business has he here you know it is all very fine for a week or so but they'll find him out they will sir he may call himself mervyn or fitzgerald or thompson sir or any other name but it won't do sir no dr walsingham it won't do the people down in this little village here sir are plague sharp they're cunning upon my life i believe they're too hard for nutter in fact stirk had been urging on his lordship the purchase of this little property which for many reasons ought to be had a bargain and it joined lord castle mallard's and it talked him into viewing it quite as an object no wonder then he should look at mervyn's restorations and residence in the light of an impertinence and an intrusion End of chapter 13 Recording by John Brandon